Welcome to the Theology of Work podcast. The Theology of Work project exists to provide a biblical perspective on faith and work. In this episode, Bill Hendricks discusses the significance of giftedness in discerning God's call on your life. Bill Hendricks is president of the Giftedness Center, a Dallas-based consulting firm specializing in organizational design and strategic people management. Thank you, Bill Hendricks, for talking with us today. You have been involved with the Giftedness Center? About- yes, uh, about 20 years ago, I had I had a consulting practice. I sort of reinvented it into what is now called the Giftedness Center. And uh, it's focused on this whole phenomenon of human giftedness, which basically has to do with understanding people through what drives their behavior and the way that God has designed them. And uh, we call that their giftedness, really what they're born to do. And if you can help people discover that, the way we use it primarily at the Giftedness Center is helping people think through their life and career directions. Um, you know, the simple way to say it is helping people figure out what to do when they grow up. Mm-hmm. Or the theological way we might say it is uh, thinking through their career and calling. And of course, calling is a huge issue for, for many people, uh, not least of which is young adults who have either in college, recently graduated from college, but just trying to think through what was it that I was put on the planet to do. Mm. So how would you, okay, so first of all, I guess, define giftedness a little, little more sure. according to your you know, system of thought, and then also how does the, the scripture, how does the Bible inform your view of giftedness? The simple definition of giftedness is that it's what you're born to do, but, but let, me, let me put a more precise and technical definition on that, because it turns out that, well, first of all, giftedness is a phenomenon, and when I talk about a phenomenon, what I mean is Well, like gravity is a phenomenon. You don't have to know anything about gravity to take advantage of it. It's just the way the world is. And there's a phenomenon about human beings. And and you don't even have to know about it for it to be operating in an effect. And frankly, most people don't know much, if anything, about giftedness. But the way this phenomenon works is that every human being really is unique. And the way that uniqueness manifests itself is through a unique pattern of behavior, a way that they function. It's unique to them. And it's a pattern in the sense that they come back to this particular way of functioning again and again and again. Certain abilities that they keep using naturally and instinctively, certain uh, interests or what we'd call subject matter that they just naturally and instinctively prefer to work with or through, certain circumstances that are really ideal for their functioning, certain roles that they play to other, relative to other people, and then, and then a, a, a unique sort of driving motivation or satisfactional outcome that they keep seeking. And all of this is like a, a little system, if you will, of behavior. It's a pattern of behavior that they come back to, and it begins early in life, really virtually from birth, and it persists in a consistent way throughout their life. And if you catch onto that pattern, it's actually quite predictive in terms of career success and satisfaction. And of course, I believe that the reason that pattern is there is because that's how God made the person to function. And, uh, and so it, all, it really fits into his purpose for putting them into the world. Now, when you, know, you say trying to help people figure out what they're supposed to do with their lives, you know, at I guess I can't speak for everybody, but for me, you know, that sounds like, great, I'm going to find the job that's perfect for me, and I'm finally going to, you know, not 
struggle with this issue of calling, and I'll actually enjoy work, which means I will not struggle or suffer suffer at work. And um, so, and and we've seen this as we've studied calling at Theology of Work Project is that you know some of the people in the Bible whom God has directly called to a partic particular job, they seem to just to suffer an incredible an incredible amount. So where where does yeah, so where does suffering fit into the idea of giftedness? Well, suffering, let's, let's, let's start with the fact that suffering is inherent to the human condition because we live in a fallen world. And, it, and Jesus said himself that anybody who follows him will suffer. Now, it's not because God enjoys people suffering, quite the contrary. But again, in a fallen world, we're going to find ourselves in circumstances that are very adverse. Now, here's what's crazy, or not, it's not crazy, but it's, here's what's interesting. You can be in the sweet spot of using your particular giftedness and yet still be facing significant adversity. And I can give you any number of examples from Scripture, but let's just take, uh, well, let's take Moses, for instance. You know, Moses, despite what he tells God that I'm not eloquent, etc., well, now, I would... I would push back on Moses and say, I don't buy that. First of all, you were raised in Pharaoh's court. You were trained to be a public official. Um, you were probably trained in rhetoric of some sort there. And for a person who wrote, what, one-third of the Old Testament and, and the law, no less, I'm not buying the fact that you're not eloquent, okay? And we have many cases of him speaking to the Israelites, and he sounds pretty eloquent to me. So that, that may have been more of an excuse. And we never trust people's self-appraisal of what they think their strengths are. It really has to be uh, something that's more objectively appraised. So I believe that, that Moses was um, gifted to the task of leading those people and doing so despite uh, significant obstacles and, and adversity. But, but by the nature of the case, that meant that again and again and again, with the either with the people themselves or with Pharaoh and his armies or with the environment and the lack of food and the lack of water and, you know, his own, his own inner turmoil, like he's constantly fighting against something. And yet it would appear that he actually was, if I can put it this way, gifted to that particular assignment, like God had prepared him with enough strength and stamina and and just I'm not giving up whatever that whatever that is he had it and he had it in enough abundance to be able to to go through that okay let's take a different individual David I believe that if you examine the record you discover that David had some form of a of a gift for uh, combat he was basically a warrior and it began to manifest itself as a kid when he would protect those sheep. And later, he would um, be the king of Israel and lead the armies out. And he was the perfect king because Israel had a lot of enemies that had not been van vanquished. And he vanquished them. And he, he made that kingdom secure for what his son Solomon built, which was the temple. And all the wealth of that empire, okay? But David was the guy who did that. Now... Think about it. Here's a man who's got tremendous gifts for leadership, um, for, for uh, strategy, for combat. He finds himself day after day after day running for his life from Saul, you know, and, and others. 
and yet he was in the sweet spot of his functioning. So just because you're using your gifts doesn't mean you're necessarily uh, not face adversity. Here's one of the telltale signs that you're in the sweet spot is that uh, even despite those adversities, you will keep going back to that pattern of behavior that God's put in you because to use it actually feels quite satisfying. Mm. The telltale sign that our gift is being expressed is that we enjoy or gain energy from, this, from, the, from the activity. The activity itself may actually be very arduous. Like I work with people who love to run marathons, okay? And when they tell you about it, they tell you about how it was, you know, 34 degrees and sleeting and they had the flu and their ankle was hurting and they, they I mean, and you think, and, and you found this to be a satisfying activity, but, but the satisfaction was not the, in the middle of the agony of finishing. It was, it was getting to the finish line and, and conquering that challenge and feeling like I did this thing. And they take great joy and satisfaction from that, even if the activity itself was what most of us would say is, gee, that, that sounds like a pretty uh, a, a great amount of suffering. Falcon was talking about the cross and mm-hmm. Je- as Jesus, you know, sort of the, the ultimate expression of self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice. But there, I mean, Jesus, you know, as being a member of the Trinity, which is just constantly pouring love into each other, there it's, it's almost the natural, of course, Jesus still, said I lay down my life right my own accord but it seemed to be this natural action of who he was yes. as a, one of one of second person of the trinity so, well well and here's an interesting thought and this may go too deep for the purposes of, of this uh, interview but we have to come to grips with the fact that Jesus himself had his own giftedness mm-hmm. that's part of what it means to be human if in if philippians tr- 2 if philippians 2 is true that he emptied himself and became a man, what that means is that he took on himself as a human being some form of giftedness because every human being has some form of giftedness. And and so there's a kind of a statement that I've heard running around out there that says, oh, well, Jesus had all the gifts. And I question that. I say, well, if he had all the gifts, then he wasn't a limited human being. In fact, I believe he, he, he did have that limitation. His gift was quite powerful and profound. It had a lot to do with teaching. Um, it had a lot to do with his uh, ultimately going to the cross. That's the work for which he came, ultimately. Um, and, and so you're, you're right. There's a perfect example of doing the very thing that God had called him to. I mean, in his case, it led to his death. Um, and yet... As, as the writer to the, I guess it's the Hebrews, is, uh, for the joy set before him, um, you know, he, he went to the cross despising the shame. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, if, if in an odd sort of way, he took satisfaction from even going to the cross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, he, he does show us a pattern there. Why is it that, you know, we're living inside our skin and yet... We, we don't know ourselves well. Right. Uh, we need this objective outside source to tell us who or we are. Or actually an, out, an objective outside source. Objective yeah, outside we, source. We live yeah. inside our skin, and so it's a physical impossibility for us to see our own face, right? We can see other people's faces. The one face we'll never see is our own face. 
and unless we look in a mirror, and even then it's a reflection. And by the same token, we see other people use their giftedness. But when we, we live inside our skin, so when we use our own giftedness, it doesn't seem remarkable to us. We don't really even think about it. It's so natural and instinctive. And, and we wouldn't think of doing life any other way. And so unless somebody from the outside kind of holds up a mirror, as it were, and says, well, here's what you're doing, here's what I see you doing, and celebrates that and says, here's the value of what you're doing, it proves a bit elusive. We, we have the subjective experience of it, but, but it's hard for us to sort of put an objective appraisal on what we are able to do by virtue of how God's made us. And, and you see this all the time. You'll, you'll see somebody who's doing some amazing thing, and you go, wow, I can't believe you did that. And they'll say, oh, I think that's no big deal. Anybody could do that. No, not anybody could do that. You do that. You do that really well. I'm amazed. They don't think it's a big deal. And this is, this is actually one of the challenges that I face in my work is helping people to value what it is that they actually do so that they can see that, no, this, this is something that God's given you to make a contribution in the world and, and don't disparage it or don't diminish the value of it because it's hugely valuable, even though to you it seems so easy to do that it certainly can't be worth much. How can pastors help, you know, uh, recognize the giftedness of the people they're taking care of? Um, sure. Pa pastors need to recognize that they play a unique role in people's mind. You know, a pastor is A, an authority figure for most people, or at least a spiritual authority. And I'm going to go somewhat deep and say that for many people, the pastor actually plays somewhat of a father role in many people's lives, particularly many men's lives. So that gives the pastor a lot of, of I'll say, weight and heft to speak authoritatively into somebody's life. And of course, that means the pastor has to be careful what they say and how they say it. But it does give them an open door that when, when you as a pastor see somebody doing something well and clearly doing it naturally and clearly enjoying it, those are all signs that that person's probably doing something that coincides with their giftedness. It's a perfect opportunity to celebrate that, to say, to take them aside, don't embarrass them, but just to say, I'll pull examples out of thin air, you know, after, a, after an elder meeting, let's say one of the elders led the meeting exceptionally well, and, and, and maybe they hadn't led it before and, and because somebody was out. Take that guy aside and go, George, wow, I, I just want you to know, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of elder meetings in my life. The way you organized it, the way you facilitated it, the way you led that, you know, brother, You've got a real talent. You've got a real gift at that. I'd pay attention to that. I don't know what all that means for you, but you know, I just want to affirm that and and you know, thank God that you, that He's given you that. Or, you know, you you see some woman in your church, and uh, she's she's working in a youth group or with children or something, and you just realize because of you know a comment a parents made or several parents have made or something you observe the way she's she's come alongside a kid and really spoken in their life and you take that lady aside and say hey I don't know if anybody's told you this you need to pay attention to your ability to work with these these children like they're different when you're around them I, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that but I want to affirm that 
because I, I really want you to exercise that gift and celebrate that. When you do that with people, well, it's, it's how I believe that we would have discovered our gifts if we'd never had the fall. You know, I, I don't know, if we'd never had the fall, I don't know that we'd need, you know, personality inventories and, and uh, psychological profiles and stuff. I, my view is that, I mean, this is speculation, but that together we would be doing life together and we'd see somebody doing something, you know, growing grapes or whatever. We'd go, why, Charlie, these grapes are just incredible. Isn't it amazing how your crop always seems to come out better than everybody else's? You know, I think God's given you some real ability with that. And Charlie would go, wow, well, thanks for pointing that out. You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but I, I guess you're right. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God made me that way? Lord, thank you. And, and we'd affirm each other's gifts. We'd celebrate each other's gifts. And in doing so, we'd praise God because, of course, he's the one that mm. ultimately gave us those gifts. Mm. I think we can practice that in the church today. Um, and so even without doing formal assessment, which I still believe in, mm-hmm. I think informally we can sort of we can mirror back to people the positive behaviors that we're seeing in them. Mm-hmm. And for workplace Christians who, um, I, I guess, I guess there are maybe two, almost two types there, right? So the ones who are convinced about how they're using their mm-hmm. giftedness, but there may be, you know, they may, they might still be off track to some degree. Sure. And then those who are just struggling to find out, you know, what, what is my calling? What's my vocation? What's my giftedness? What would you say to those two groups? Well, one thing, I I, want to reassure anybody who's sort of listening to this interview and thinking, well, I'm not sure I really know what my gift is, and and thereby they think there must be something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you, okay? As I said, the reason you don't really know what your gift is is not because um, there's something wrong with you. It's not because you're not reflective enough or don't have any insight or, you know, anything like that. It's, as I say, because the thing is so natural that you're probably not even aware of it, okay? And I want to reassure you that you're actually in the majority of people. You know, the, the, the Gallup organization keeps track of what it calls employee engagement, which is the extent to which people feel a connection to their job. They feel like it matters, and, and, and they almost feel an emotional attachment to it. Well, that's only 30% of the workforce. 70% of the workforce feels like their job is just a job. They're, they're, you know, it, it pays the bills, but their, their heart's not in it. And some people, it's worse than that. I mean, they hate their job, okay? That suggests to me that the vast majority of people probably don't really know what it is they were born to do. And so they haven't been able to find work that fits them as a result. Because, you know, if, if you don't know what work you were born to do, it's hard to find that work, you know? Um, what I would say, again, is that as you affirm other people's gifts, it invites them to affirm your gifts. Um, and that you might consider asking three or four people who work around you or know you well, certainly that have your best interests at heart, you might take them out for a cup of coffee and, or sit down with them for a few minutes and just say, listen, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think through what it is that I do best. Because I really want to focus on that, but I need some help 
you know, you see me around here working or you see me in other contexts. What, what would you say are my strengths? You know, when, do, when do, have you seen me get the most animated, the most energized, the most excited, the most interested in an activity? And you may be surprised when they, when they tell you because it may have nothing to do with the job that you're in. Pay attention to that because it may suggest that you're not in a job that really belongs to you. That doesn't mean you quit your job right away and go find the other one. It, but it means you begin to start praying and thinking about, well, where might be a better fit for me? Because I do believe that to the extent that we have options, and not everybody has options, but it's a matter of stewardship. To the extent that I have options, I want to be the best steward of my gifts that I can possibly be, which means that I always be on the lookout for would this job or this assignment this role over here be a better use of me than what I'm doing now and then try to think through and pray through uh, and and act toward trying to get into that better fit that's great thank you Bill hey glad to be with you today for more information visit theologyofwork.org like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Theo Work Project